I need to feed my spirit. I was once a living. You are a specter from the gods. Walk with me. All right, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And today on episode seven, I got the lovely Sarah. Um, No last name. She wants to remain anonymous. And we understand that because when you leave the church, um, things can get really tense with your family. Things can get really tense with those you associate with. Um, And you can't always put your story out there so openly. Um, But Sarah and I, we talk about how she came home from her mission in Korea and found comfort and newfound confidence in the octagon as a mixed martial arts fighter. Um, So that's very interesting. We talk about her struggles with mental illness in the church before her mission and afterward and, and how mental illness and mental health is so often mismanaged within the church. Um, and we all also talk about, you know, the stress of living a double life, you know, what it's like when you can't be real with your family, um, when you're afraid that they'll cast you out. And I know that's a lot of, that's something that a lot of us deal with as ex-Mormons. Um, and so I hope that you hear this and it's beneficial for you and that you're able to get a little bit of a, a cathartic release um, through our shared experiences. Um, Once again, please, if you um, have anything you want to reach out to me about, feel free to do so. You can reach me at Instagram um, or you can email me. I'll get a website up soon, I promise, and that'll make it very easy to find everything podcast related. All right. Enjoy. All right, Sarah, well, then let's just jump into it. Um, why don't you tell us a little about who you are and what brings you on the podcast today? So I am an MMA fighter, and I work at an MMA gym working with kids. Um, I'm a 26-year-old woman. I'm single, and I live in Virginia. And um, I guess that's a pretty good yeah. – <laughs> that's about me and, like, a, a Tinder bio. So yeah. there you go. Absolutely. But- Um, Are you from Virginia or did you move there for the fighting? I moved there. I moved here because of a job. So I actually grew up in the military. Okay. I moved around a lot. I moved. I I was born in Utah, Salt Lake City. And then I moved around a ton as a kid because my dad was in the army. And then I moved, ended up moving here for a government contracting job because I was working in government contracting. But then that was not where I wanted to be. I found fighting and switched careers when I realized I was, that's what I wanted to pursue. Okay. And you said you're 26 now. Um, how long have you been fighting then? Just three years, like three years I've been training and I've been fighting for almost two years, like competing for almost two years. So my, my timeline for that is not very typical. I got obsessed really quick. So yeah. yeah. So I guess, did you just walk into a gym one day? Like I want to learn how to box and then it took off from there or what's the story? Yeah. So I was, I just moved to the area from a, another place and I knew I needed to find something to be active and to get out of my house. Cause I was staring at a computer screen all day at a desk job. And then the evenings I would come home, watch Netflix, stare at a screen all evening. Like mm. most people may I think do. 
And then I was like, I need to get out. I was also like, I've always been a heavier person. And at the time I was weighing in at like over 260 pounds. And so I was like, I need to do something to be active. I found a boxing gym nearby and I joined and I loved it. And then I quickly went from attending more and more classes each week to realizing this is more of a fitness gym. I actually want to compete. Moving on to a competition level gym. And over time, I lost, I've lost almost a hundred pounds because I wanted to meet the, the weight requirements to fight because you have, it's a weight controlled sport. Mm -hmm. So I lost the weight. I gained the experience and now I have six fights on my record. I am a national kickboxing championship with champion with the World Kickboxing Association. Wow. And I have three jiu-jitsu tournaments that are my belt as well. My fourth one is going to be in a few weeks. Wow. That's really so, awesome. Yeah, thank and, you. and I can tell like, you sound very confident. You know, I, <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't want to trade blows with you <laughs> for sure. Fighters are nice people because they know what the consequences yeah. are if you get on someone's bad side. You get a little humbled when you've had the crap beaten out of you yeah, a few I, times. I could imagine. So, so, yeah. It's so interesting, like, you know, coming up, you know, when I talk to women, you know, that left the church, um, mm -hmm. a common theme is, you know, having a lack of confidence, like not um, feeling like you can make your own decisions and all of these things. And then hearing you talk especially now. Especially as a single woman. Especially as a single especially woman. As a single, and for me, I'm like old maid level in mm -hmm. the Mormon church at this point. Yeah. I'm 26 and I'm single. Like my eggs are drying up as far as the church is concerned. Yeah. So, Yeah. There, there, there must be something wrong with you, right? You know, it's Absolutely. always blaming you for it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm too forward. I'm too bold. I mm -hmm. don't wear sleeves, like shirts with sleeves enough. Like, heaven forbid. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but um, like you sound so confident now. Like, <laughs> was, is that, you know, a direct result of you starting to learn how to fight and I getting into all of this? I think so. Because I learned how strong I was. Mm -hmm. Like, I... I'd been, everyone goes through hard things in their life yeah. and you gain like this mental and emotional strength. But when you, one of the things that really made me fall in love with combat sports is you can tangibly see the resilience and like the determined mindset that you've developed through those experiences. Mm. And it conveys itself really well when you're fighting, because if someone can punch you in the face and you keep pushing forward and you punch them back, mm. like you gain a lot of confidence in yourself. Like, Oh, maybe I'm a little bit of a badass now. Yeah. And then you can kind of, it, you start to see how powerful you are. Mm -hmm. And as a woman who was told for most of their life that the only thing they could really do of any value was get married and have children, yeah. that was a real game changer for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Now, I've I've been in one fight in my life. And this uh -huh. was in like third grade, so it doesn't how count. How did that go? It doesn't count. I definitely won. Oh, that's fantastic. I definitely won. It was, uh, it was about... Is that on your resume? It should be there. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm an alpha male. I put that right at the top. Um, <laughs> it gets me a lot of callbacks, but it, it lasted about mm -hmm. five seconds, I would say. Very intense. Um, but I don't really remember how it felt. Um, but I always hear that, you know, you go into a fight with a plan and then you get yeah. hit for the first time and everything goes out the window. Um, was that the experience for you when you actually first got in your official f match yeah and that first each fight came yeah each fight is a little bit different my first fight i look back at the at the the film at the tape and i'm just like wow it was just an adrenaline dump we both look like the the rocket what is it the robot boxers oh yeah we're just like going at it yeah and so that there was not a lot of uh 
technique in that first fight. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of just an adrenaline dump and learning how to push forward. And then after a while, like at my second, third, like as my fights got better, I started to come up with a plan. And then like you adjust the plan as the fight progresses. You're like, oh, they're actually countering my mm-hmm. kicks while I should have more boxing or they're countering my punches while I need to keep f- pushing forward with kicks instead or mm-hmm. I need to angle out different strategies you use. Mm-hmm. But the more experience you get, the easier it is to kind of strategize as you're fighting. Yeah. Kind of like so. muscle memory and stuff, all that starts to take mm-hmm. effect. And... and getting used to thinking while you're getting like kicked and punched and mm-hmm. instead of like freaking out, kind of trying to override those natural instincts. Yeah. When, so. when you're in those circumstances, do you ever like wish you had like the Holy Ghost kind of guiding you? <laughs> your steps? Uh, <laughs> no. Um, I don't really care, Uh, which makes me sound bitter, but I'm not, I'm kind of like, I chose to do this. I'm the one who's here. Like they, they say that behind every great fighter is a team, but at Mm. the end of the day, you really go into the ring alone. Yeah. And so like, I don't know. I believe in myself now. Mm. I I mean, I I hope that doesn't make me sound prideful, but I'm like, I do this. It's, it's no one else doing it for me. Like I'm not. Um, no one's sitting there like, oh, are you okay? They're mm. like, push forward, pull yourself together. You chose to be here. Mm-hmm. Now act like a fighter. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The Holy Ghost, I don't, yeah, no, no. nah, bro. Nah, uh, I think nah, I'm good. <laughs> that's one of the most powerful realizations, um, I feel like as an ex-Mormon, I mean, probably mm-hmm. for a lot of other people realizing all of those moments where I was like fervently in prayer, like seeking uh-huh. guidance and power to be able to do something. Yeah. And then I did it, you know, I, I credited that to God. And then you realize, mm-hmm. oh, that was within me the whole time, you know, kind of yep. like what you're saying, like, yep. you know, all you, all you really need is yourself. And when you come to actually realize that for the first time and then mm-hmm. you know, gain that little bit of confidence moving forward, yeah. it's, it's, it's really a game changer. You, yeah. When you realize that it's really been you this whole time mm-hmm. and like the power was always within you exactly. and you always had that sitting there. You just had to access it. And like one of the things also is that when I was a teenager and I learned how to quote unquote recognize the Holy ghost, mm-hmm. like it was this, for me, it was like a physical like warmth within my chest. And then over time I started realizing like, I get this in really strange places. I don't feel this at church at all. Mm-hmm. I feel it when I'm fighting. I feel it when I'm teaching my kids karate mm-hmm. and they understand something. I don't feel it when I'm in certain situations where they say you should feel it, mm-hmm. but I do feel it in other situations, like when I'm hanging out with my non-member friends and we're just, it's like a family, like mm-hmm. with unconditional support and you're being there for each other. So then I was kind of like, maybe the Holy Ghost isn't quite what I was told it was. Yeah. Maybe this is just kind of a, a biological response to feeling secure mm-hmm. or fulfilled. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. When I first found out that we weren't the only like faith that felt those things or kind of taught them that blew my mind. I was like, Whoa, really? Like Hindus? I didn't really know. Express this. Like all of these other faiths, like, you know, express that same feeling. Like, how did you know your thing is correct? It's like, Oh, I felt this like inside. It's like, Oh, Mm -hmm. that's not a unique thing to Mormonism. Like maybe it, maybe it is something biological. I think it's kind of iffy to kind of base everything off an emotion. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I think that like while emotions are powerful for like motivating you to do things, you really need to balance it with logic and saying, does this like, 
one of the biggest things that pulled me away from Mormonism was I started to realize that this wasn't the best vehicle for me in my life. Like I, I talked to my parents and one of my brothers before we, we had a lot of intellectual conversations about religion because my mom is actually a convert. Okay. Um, and my family is, we talk about things in kind of a not super traditional Mormon way. My, my mom anyways, uh, does. And we were talking about how like we're all, everyone in the entire world is trying to get this one destination of like being with God or in my mind now it's like enlightenment or like truly accessing the whole power you have within yourself. Mm -hmm. And every person has their own vehicle that works best for them. Some people, the best vehicle is the Mormon church. Some people, the best vehicle is humanism. Some people, the best vehicle is the Buddhist like way of thinking. And so I started to realize I was like, this isn't providing logically. It does not correlate with my personal values. I think this is not the vehicle for me. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of just slid down from there. Yeah. Now it seems, um, you had questions a lot growing up, um, Mm -hmm. but you served a full-time mission. So how I didn't, when I was growing up, I was actually really faithful. My middle name is actually faith, (laughs) but like I ironic, but um, (laughs) I, I was very much, uh, told to believe it. So I believed it kind of person. Okay. I was very faithful. I was very devout. I was very interested in following Jesus Christ, but I didn't want to serve a mission because I wanted to get married. Mm. That's the real reason I didn't want to serve a mission. I was like, at that time, it was right before the age change. So I was sitting there thinking, well, if I serve a mission, that means I'm one of the broken Mormon women who mm. didn't get married in time. But then the age change happened like three days before my 19th birthday. And I was like, okay, now I got to go. Yeah. So, and then on my mission, I studied Jesus Christ, like as much as I could. It's like, why am I studying all these other things? Why don't I just go to the source? Mm -hmm. Why am I studying the restoration? Why am I studying Joseph Smith? If the true foundation is Jesus Christ, why wouldn't I just study that? So I did. And then from there, it was kind of like, dang guys, you shouldn't have sent me on a mission because it was just the start of everything else. You start to realize there are some very unchristlike ways that the church functions and the church members handle different situations, and mm-hmm. it kind of it pushed me away. Yeah. And um, yeah. All right. Um, so, did you take the age change as like a monumental sign from God that going on a mission was something you yeah. needed to do? Yeah, I considered it like a major spiritual experience because it was right before my birthday and. Mm-hmm. I was at BYU, so I was in this big room with all these other 18 and 19-year-old women, and we were just like, oh my gosh, it's a sign from God. We all need to go. So I was part of that huge rush of women. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I went. Yeah, I definitely feel that. Um, And where did you serve? In what years? Served in Korea from 2013 to 2014. Oh, yeah. And that was, uh, which, how many missions are there in Korea? There are four were yeah Yeah. actively because i know they're shutting down missions and condensing them all the time i don't really follow i'm not sure they split one of them right before i went there and then i don't know if they've condensed them i don't really keep up with my mission same here news kind of like yeah i did it i'm done i feel like the people who are stuck in their mission are kind of like the people who talk about high school as their peak Mm -hmm. i'm like guys move on (laughs) it's fine but i was an ap you don't understand. Like, I was the assistant to the president. Like, congratulations. Yeah. They don't care when you apply for a job. No, no, not at all. 
um, if you put it on a resume, that is kind of weird. Like, yeah, you have to re, you have yeah. to reword it. Yeah. So I, I always reworded it to being like a, a volunteer or an English teacher because mm. that's what I did a lot of the time yeah. in Korea. So I reworded it so it didn't sound so weird and hippy dippy. So, mm. yeah. Now, Korea, not the worst place to go on paper, at least, you know, no. much better than like a Mississippi college oh. or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I rem- go ahead. Yeah. There was a there's a video of me opening my call and I saw what it said before I read it out loud and then we had to pause the video because someone was was like calling in on Skype and I you can see me say like don't worry guys it's a good one yeah uh, right before I read it aloud because mm-hmm. I saw it was Korea yeah I had so. a I had a friend we were me and a few guys were going out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw like a vague Facebook post that he wrote, you know, he just opened his call. He's like, oh, look, looks like I'm going uh, somewhere with vampires or something like that. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's going to Romania or something like that. That's really cool and pretty crazy. Yeah. And then I met up with him. He he went to like Washington State. So he was talking, <laughs> about, he was talking about the Twilight books. Oh, that's funny. And I was like, oh, that's clever. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Not as cool. <laughs> way to <laughs> hate, hype up a stateside <laughs> Yeah, mission. way to hype it up. I was like, okay. <laughs> Um, but back to Korea, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking you, you, this change, age limit change happens. You're feeling like, okay, this is God telling me this is where I want to go. Mm-hmm. You get a cool mission. So like, what, what are your expectations? What are your kind of initial impressions at this time? So I was the first one, my brother and I served our missions at the same time mm-hmm. and I left a month before he did. So okay. I was the first one in my family to go. Okay. And, um, I kind of expected it to be a hard but positive experience. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And I think that a lot of people feel that way. I honestly, if I had known how hard it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have gone. Um, I mean, I don't regret it, Uh but... uh, I, I don't really know what I expected. I don't think I thought too much about it. Mm-hmm. I question things a lot more now than I did when I was 19. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I think I, I hoped that I, I had these impressions of what missionaries were like mm-hmm. and they're always so kind and happy and cheerful and helpful. And their lives seemed so simple. Like all they had to do was teach people and like serve, but it, it's not that simple. It really isn't, especially when you, when they put a bunch of teenage girls together in close proximity and tell them they have zero privacy, it's not that simple. Yeah. Especially, and like, you can't do that and not expect things to go sour sometimes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so did you start to notice that like in the MTC or? In the MTC, I, yeah, my companion and I in the MTC did not get along. Uh-huh. And we just had clashing personalities. We didn't really fight. We just didn't get along. Um, and I had a really hard time. At the time, I didn't know it, but I was dealing with mental illness. I've dealt with mental illness most of my life. Mm-hmm. And it went undiagnosed until I was like 22. Okay. Um, I was already struggling in the MTC a little bit. I was like, I don't, I don't understand why I'm here. Like, I don't feel good. You're supposed to feel good when the spirit's there. But mm. I, the spirit's here. Why don't I feel good? Why am I miserable? that was really confusing to me because you're supposed to, you shall know them by their fruits. Mm -hmm. Like the fruits of the spirit are peace and joy. Well, where are the Mm -hmm. the fruits of the spirit? 
So, and then my, my trainer, I have my MTC companion. She and I didn't get along very well, but then we figured it out because she wasn't a bad person. She was a nice person. We just had different personalities. We were both 19 year old girls. My trainer, on the other hand, was a piece of work. Um, well, she didn't speak English very well. Okay. I didn't speak Korean very well. Of the group of trainers that they had for the girls coming into the mission, I got the one who spoke the least English. Mm-hmm. And they matched me with her, I think, partially because I had the best Korean of the group of girls coming out. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean your Korean's good. It just yeah. means you understand a few more words. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I'm not being, I'm not like, I'm a genius. I'm just like, I knew a couple more words. Mm-hmm. But um, she, How do I put this? I'm just going to start listing bullet points. It was really hard to work with her and feel comfortable because she would just go off on the lessons in Korean and I would just have to sit there smiling. I had no idea what was going on. Then she'd tell me afterwards and she's like, oh, I told them God doesn't have a body. If you're Mormon, you know God has a body. Literally says it and preach my gospel. Then she's like, oh, yeah, kissing is against the law of chastity, right? And I'm like, what are you teaching? Mm -hmm. How am I supposed to be helping these people if I can't speak the language? And she's teaching, quote, unquote, false doctrine. Mm -hmm. That was stressful. And then she also had this very strict idea of what it meant for her to be a trainer. And she thought Mm -hmm. that was to make me a person she could get along with. And that's not the same thing as someone becoming a better person. She made, she would make lists of all the things she didn't like about me and give them to me during companionship inventory um, so that I could work on them. That was really hard Uh, because I'm not going to do that to her. Like that's a mean thing to do. (laughs) So, um, and like, it was just little things where she just, it became very clear that she had a mask on and she, she was not being honest with me about different things. And it was hard. And I told my mission president what was going on and he, he didn't do much of anything. Mm. I, I started suffering from severe anxiety when I was training with her. Um, and I told my mission, my mission president's wife, who was supposed to be like the mission mom or whatever. Mm. I was like, I feel nervous and stressed out and anxious all the time. And I can't make the feeling stop. I can't make it go away. She was like, okay, you need to stop eating gluten and start a gratitude journal. I was like, Mm. okay. So I started doing that. But now years down the road when I've actually like gone to the doctor and gone to therapy for like, and now I can recognize anxiety disorder. I'm like, Gluten-free and d- gratitude journals do not fix it. It's like putting a Band-Aid on, like, a gash on your leg. It's not yeah. going to work. So, I don't know. It, it was – I think the word is mismanagement exactly. for how that was handled. And I had a couple other companions who were not – it was mm-hmm. it was emotional and psychological abuse. Yeah. And um, I couldn't recognize it at the time. I didn't have the vocabulary. But – uh there's no supervision uh-huh. of how companions are treating each no. other. If you put one dominant companion, one dominant personality with another person who's supposed to be submissive and meek and trying to be humble like Christ. So they're not correcting the other person. Chances are one person's going to get psychologically or emotionally abused. Yeah. And that's what happened to me in a yeah. few of my companionships. Mm-hmm. So definitely if you're like really turning to the scriptures for comfort as well, like at least in my experience, you yeah, know, you're reading all these teachings, and it's telling you to let them abuse you. Really? Yeah, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek, right? Mm-hmm. And then you—that's fi- not very good 
strategy for keeping healthy boundaries, no, by the way. Not at all. Like, you know, and then stand I, up for yourself. Tell them you won't tolerate that treatment. Mm -hmm. And so, it, as for me, like I was feeling the, the spirit telling me I'm doing the right thing. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. I'm learning the right lessons. Like all it's, it's on the responsibility is on this person now, you know? Yeah. That's kind of how I felt, but um, they will be judged for what they do. Yes. You will not be judged for the situation. There's nothing about you can stand up for yourself because your worth means you don't have to tolerate that. Exactly. And you don't have to tell them that they're a bad person, but you can tell them that you will not accept that. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. But if you keep the line of thinking like after the mission on all of this stuff, like you can see where it's a really slippery, oh, yeah. slippery slope, you know? It's horrible um, for dating. It's horrible for family boundaries. So many things go wrong. Exactly. So. Um, you know, and if, depending on who you're, you're with, if they're very aggressive, kind of like what you're saying, very abusive, they know mm -hmm. you're going to try to tell the president. They know you're going to try to tell, you know, the mission mom. Oh, uh, I had one companion throw a laptop at me and then she went and punched the wall in the other room until her knuckles bled. Right. And then we had to go and I was like freaking out in the other room and the elders showed up. I was like, I didn't know what to do. And you, have you heard like when they say you just open your scriptures and flip to a scripture yeah. and that's your answer. Mm -hmm. I did that, but I got to the scriptures. They say Joseph Smith read right before he was murdered. <laughs> so I was like, Jesus, no. I'm going to die. Like, I, this is not comforting. Oh <laughs> so God. then we, yeah, the elders showed up and they calmed her down. Her knuckles are bleeding, and I'm like, that could have been my face. Yeah. We went to the mission president's house, and they took her in the other room and talked to her, and they just sat me on the couch and left me by myself. And now thinking back, I'm like, I could have really used a little bit of. Why are you working with the? Why are you just helping her? Mm -hmm. Like they just, they just left me there, and I'm like, if I were to look at two teenagers, and one has just been abused, mm -hmm. and one is the abuser. You help both. Yeah. You don't just say, oh, this person's dealing with anger and that's not a Christ-like emotion. Mm -hmm. No. Maybe even if they're demonstrating like meekness and patience with the other person, maybe they're still struggling. It's just mismanagement. There's yeah. no mental health or like, there's no none of that provided in the mission. Mm -mm. No wonder people go home early so often for mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And now, so, so this seems like a good time to kind of get into that, like the whole concept of mental illness being mismanaged throughout mm -hmm. the church. Oh, yeah. Um, so kind of like going back before you even left, like what were some of your mm -hmm. like personal experiences? Because you said uh, undiagnosed mm -hmm. until 22. Yeah. So, I mean, you must have been dealing with some anxiety and stuff growing up in the church. Uh, mm -hmm. What was your experience like trying to reach out to people like pre-mission? I, I was trying to understand what was happening to me. I remember even as a little kid, I was sad like all the time and mm -hmm. I couldn't understand why. And I remember getting in trouble or being reprimanded because I wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you have a good life. Why aren't you happy? I couldn't figure it out. And I was told, and I'm not going to say by who, because it doesn't really matter. And they were trying their best. I think mm -hmm. I was told that I was sad because I wasn't praying enough or reading my scriptures enough yeah. or I wasn't righteous enough. I was like 11. Yeah. Like <laughs> something is wrong. If someone, someone's emotions don't correlate with their environment, mm -hmm. like so they need some kind of help. And there were just a lot of times where I was told to turn to the scriptures for help, or I was told to pray or seek out the spirit. The spirit would help me. 
And honestly, what I needed was to go to a doctor and get diagnosed because mental illness ran in my family. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be a huge surprise. Mental illness ran on both sides of my family. Like it, it wouldn't, it makes sense. But a lot of the time they attribute having negative emotions to a lack of spirituality or a lack of righteousness. And that is a huge issue because then that just drops your self-worth even lower. Mm -hmm. You're sitting there like, not only do I have this little depression voice in the back of my mind telling me that no one likes me and I'm a worthless piece of garbage. Then you're being told you're not good enough in the eyes of God because you're obviously not trying hard enough in your religion. And it just digs the hole even deeper. Mm -hmm. And clearly that's not an isolated experience on your part. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a, you know, prolific throughout the church, this, this kind yeah, of, absolutely. Uh, this mismanagement and it's kind of a mm-hmm. deflection, I guess you could say, you know, just like, oh, brushing it aside, sweeping it under the rug. Um, I think go ahead. part of it has to do with how conservative as a whole, the church culture is like, and conservative, you can say politically or just culturally mental health is kind of taboo. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to fix those issues, it's a lot more acceptable to turn to God than it is to turn to medicine or to therapy because those things are unspoken. If you have to take medication or if you have to go to therapy, you obviously have a character flaw. It doesn't have anything to do with like your health. It has to do with how good or bad you are as a person. It's just, I think part of it has to do with the conservative culture's relationship with mental health as a whole. Definitely. Because culturally, um, everything is very appearance based absolutely because you know, I, I grew up in florida but I, I went to salt lake city in utah for for college after my mission and i kind of yeah was able to observe a, a lot of the things um you know in the mormon mecca there and how yeah. things run and you know so many people are on prescription medications so many people are dealing with these different mental illnesses mm-hmm. so that's a huge issue so you have to wonder you know clearly you've answered it but you have to wonder a little bit why we don't stress like like a mental health background sort of check on people before yeah. they go on the mission. Why do you think that, I guess my question is like, what did you start to notice about the difference in how they talked about their image or like focused on their image when you moved to Utah? Because church members outside of Utah, I think they're a little bit more accepting of personal flaws. Yeah. But when you get to Utah, it's all about image. Like, what were some of the things you noticed when you were in Salt Lake? Well, I had a fiance um, mm-hmm. in, in Utah, that, you know, like an engagement that, that fell apart. But yeah. I noticed um, in her family, I think this is a good example, because her dad was a bishop, you know, they held kind of responsibilities in the church, their family. Yeah. Um, they, I noticed that they had a good car and a less good car. But we mm-hmm. always drive our nicest car to church every Sunday. Yeah. Like we go out of our way to do things like that. We want to, mm-hmm. you know, if we have the nice car, it must mean we're doing the right things. We're getting the right yes. blessings. Um, I would notice little things like that. Um, You're only showing your best at church. Yeah. You're only giving your best to God. Exactly. And the best happens to be very superficial. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, I enjoyed going to church like in Florida. It, it felt more genuine. And a lot mm-hmm. of people that I talk to, that's a huge complaint that they have with the church right now is I was tired of, you know, feeling fake, dealing with fake yeah. people, fake interactions. I, um, that resonates with yeah. me for sure. And I just think, so, you know, it's a symptom of that appearance-based uh, church and culture. Like, yeah. 
you know, I can't show you my real personality because I'm trying to um, emulate something that's not even really achievable. Yeah. You know? And there's always that fear that they're going to tell you that elements of your personality are not Christ-like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the hardest things that I, I know that I felt and I, I think that other people probably do too. There are parts of my personality where people would say, well, that's not very Christ-like. And now that I look back, like there are times when absolutely I was being unkind or mm-hmm. absolutely I could have had more integrity. But there are also times when I had a strong opinion and I didn't mind saying what I thought. Mm-hmm. But if I was a man, it would be accepted and be told it was Christ-like. But because I was a woman, I wasn't being meek and submissive. Mm-hmm. There are moments where you're like, is your is it because they don't like your personality and it doesn't jive with the whole like church culture? Mm-hmm. Or is it actually a Christ-like attribute that's gone awry? Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, it's 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 a heavy issue, you know, and it's really yeah. like <laughs> Yeah, we're walking around like damaged out here and you know, like yeah. Uh, people that aren't Mormon, like, you know, in Virginia, I assume you were one of few uh, Mormons mm-hmm. around. I, I doubt the church is very big yeah. there. You know, people just can't to comprehend it, you know, when they don't really have anything to, to base, you know, your experience on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do kind of want to transition a little bit back to Korea. Um, yeah. Did you have a American mission president or did you have a Korean president? American mission president. I had two different mission presidents. Uh, the second one was a little bit softer than the first. Um, the first one, it was very obedience based. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of obedience brings blessings, but exact obedience brings miracles. Little things like if you're one minute late to your apartment, maybe you will not have the spirit enough to find that next investigator. Things like that, where it's like, really, I don't think that this matters to God. Mm -hmm. If God truly cares that even though we were running, we were two minutes late to our apartment for curfew then that's not really a God that I agree with or mm-hmm. res- can respect. If he, like, cause that's human, like the best that humans can offer is going to be finite. Like mm-hmm. there, there are limitations. So I, yeah, I, I had, um, almost all Korean companions except for my last two companions who I was training. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, cause I know it seems like, uh, you know, your mileage may vary um, where you go and the time, but mm-hmm. um, it seems the American mission presidents actually like were they tended to be the softest and easiest from what I've kind of heard from other people. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't have a comparison between the two. I only yeah, had American. Same here. I had, yeah. the, I had the same one the whole time, but we did cover a lot of those same things, like the exact uh, obedience brings miracles, you know, really hammering on. Um, godly mm-hmm. sorrow for proper repentance you know when you're not being exactly obedient you need to be mm-hmm. god you have to have godly sorrow for that repentance yeah. to actually count um now i know with anxiety uh like perfectionism is kind of a you know a stressor mm-hmm. or something that you you have to deal with um, yes it is so as all of that is being hammered into your head how is that affecting like your anxiety and like your your mental health it meant that a lot of the time I felt responsible for mothering my companions because they would have this anxiety, but they would be verbal about it. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't live with it. It would make my anxiety go through the roof. I already have a voice inside my head telling me that everything is on fire because I can't control everything. Like I don't need a companion sitting there saying all that out loud. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time I would put on this face or this mask where I'm like, you know what? Did we do our best? Yes, we did. It's okay. And I'm putting on this really calm facade and like trying to calm down my companions all the time while inside I'm just like 
ablaze sitting here like I am the worst. Like I can't, I don't know why I can't control it. Like I can't fix it. There's nothing I can do to fix it. I just have to leave it alone. But my mind can't leave it alone, even though rationally I know I need to just let the issue lie. I know that's a little vague, but um, just like one example, I guess, is we had a an investigator, me and my American, American trainee, mm-hmm. and um, I don't even remember her name, but she was very sweet and we both had a good feeling about her. We're like, she would make such a wonderful member mm-hmm. and all that, but she wasn't answering our calls. Yeah. And my trainee who did not have much of a filter at the time. <laughs> she was just like, Oh, she, she's never going to call us back. And we did something wrong. And she kept going off and off and off. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, it's going to make me just freak out. I'm going to have an, a panic attack on the side of the road. And so I was like, no, you know, what probably happened. She's probably at work. She probably didn't answer her phone. You know what? We all miss calls sometimes. And I'm sitting here like mothering her through this, trying to be like, it's okay. And well, I didn't have anyone who was doing that for me. I had to do it for myself and my companion. So that was really hard. I felt like most of my mission, I felt like I was just holding my breath, mm-hmm. waiting for the mission to end. Yeah. I had a countdown on the cell phone that I kept right from like my second week uh-huh. in the mission, how many days I had left. Yeah. I was like, I can't go home. <laughs> my family will be ashamed of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't go home. How many days do I have left? I can't believe I made it through sometimes. Just yeah. like, oh, the days passed. Oh my God. Man. Um, did that yeah. ever like, I, I feel like that would have had to take a physical toll on you. All of that mm-hmm. mental stress, like, mm-hmm. and missions are notorious for not having the best access to medical care and the things you need. Oh yeah. Um, so did you ever <laughs> run into issues in that regard where, you know, my anxiety is had, so bad. Yeah. It's physically making I me had, Ill. um, digestion issues and stomach issues, almost the entire mission that were related to anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and they attributed it to the water quality, but there, there were a couple of companions I had who I worked with really well and the issues went away. Mm-hmm. But when, but that was only like one or two companions who I worked with and yeah. then it went away. So then I was like, it's, it has to do with how stressed out I am. Yeah. Um, at one point I got influenza B and I had to go to this clinic and it was such low quality and I had no idea what was happening. And I was so stressed out and I called the mission president trying to get help, trying to get some kind of support. I was like, I just need someone to speak English to me and tell me I'm going to be okay. Mm. I didn't hear a thing from them. It was to me, that was just kind of like, really, I'm in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Like I'm struggling. I'm 20 and I'm away from my family. Like, and this is before you could call. You couldn't talk to your family. You couldn't talk to anyone. So it's just moments like that where you're like, you put two grown adults in charge of like a hundred teenagers and you think that's going to go over well? Yeah. You think all their needs are going to be met? You think they're going to be well supervised and not just to so that they don't beat each other up, mm-hmm. but so that they don't end up like a bunch of head cases who are yeah. in therapy? Like the Mormon church is keeping the therapy industry alive, man. Yeah. Big yeah. time. Um, Seriously. So you you served the whole 18 months, it sounds like. I did. Um, yes, I did. Now, <laughs> missions, they're not all bad, of course, right? There's, there's some benefits no, to them. No, they're, they're happy moments. And I definitely learned how to set goals for myself, mm-hmm. how to – the biggest thing I took away from it was learning how to improve myself and mm-hmm. not take it personally when I'm like, I need to work on being a nicer person. Yeah. I need to work on being more honest with the people around me and learning how to just accept that that's part of 
progress. Mm-hmm. What so. is the like religious landscape like where you were serving in Korea? Were people receptive? Were they willing to hear your message? Um, a lot of the time they were just really interested because I was American. My mm-hmm. companions were usually Korean and they're like, Oh, you're so pretty. You're so smart and you speak Korean. Mm. I mean, you're fat, but it's okay. You're pretty. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but a third Buddhist, a third, a third atheist and a third Christian. Mm. And there are a lot of feelings in, um, Korea about the Mormon church being a cult or mm. being an American religion. And in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you guys nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, guys. Oh, man. So. Um, have you been back since you nope. left? No. I don't really want to spend my money traveling back to somewhere I've already been. Yeah. I'll go somewhere <laughs> I haven't been before. Yeah. That's fair. So. Very fair. Um, yeah, well, I'm glad you had some some good portions. Um, it was beneficial. Yeah. I will I put it that. It was beneficial. I mean, I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned, I pulled a lot of it about self-development from there. Um, But I also, it was extremely triggering for my mental illnesses. And like when I came back, that's when they really peaked and I needed to go get mental help, like medical help. Yeah. Um, And I still have, like they've gotten better over time, but I still have like nightmares of someone. It's usually like Jeffrey R. Holland or someone coming to me and being like, your first mission was not worthy. You Uh... must serve a second time. I had like one a few months ago where I got called to Pennsylvania and I was like, are you serious? I'm going to Pennsylvania oh, with a bunch of teenagers. Oh, boundaries are going to be yeah. hard enforcement. Now I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. You don't talk to me that way. We're mm-hmm. companions, but we don't treat each other yeah. that way. So interesting. Yeah. That is in crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause I know a lot of uh, the guys I've talked to have those kind of nightmares. I've, so it's interesting yeah. to see it. it. It affects us all equally. Yes, it does. But um, maybe, maybe that's a sign of trauma. Just I, a, I'm thinking so. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. You don't really have those kind of dreams about good experiences. Mm-mm. So, Mm-mm. yeah. Wow. So <laughs> I guess, um, like, how long after you got home did you start to like really begin that exit? So. I want to say it was a few months I started to have questions. I got back and I was like, this is so image based. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we not focusing on Christ? Why are we focusing on, I was at BYU too. Mm-hmm. Why are we focusing so much on marriage? Yeah. That has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Like maybe you can go around the bush and be like, oh, da, 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 da. now it relates to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But I'm just sitting here like, why are we using that as a sign of worthiness? Mm-hmm. That really bothered me. And then just different things about how BYU is very focused on image as well. Mm -hmm. We're a very clean cut group of people and you need to talk a certain way, do certain things, dress a certain way, have certain opinions. And I was like, this is not about Christ anymore. This is about a PR campaign. Mm -hmm. And then I was severely depressed at BYU as well because I didn't get along with people very well. And I, a lot of the guys, people would be like, why aren't you dating Sarah? And I'm like, I don't know. I was, but honestly, it was when I was at BYU, I was like, I'm probably not going to marry a Mormon guy because a lot of them just think exactly what they're told to think. And that really pisses me off. (laughs) I'm like, you should have your own opinions. Mm -hmm. I left Utah after I graduated. I moved to Maryland, was with my family for a little bit. I was going to grad school. And I started um, kind of doing my own thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, but it was fairly recent. It was within the last like couple of years where I've just started having experiences where 
I started having like friendships outside of the church mm-hmm. and started building my self-worth up and realizing like, you know, my values don't align with the church anymore. I want to hold myself to a higher standard, mm-hmm. especially when some of these human rights issues started coming up. I was like, yeah. why isn't the church behind Black Lives Matter? Yeah. Why isn't the church behind treating LGBTQ people with respect? Mm-hmm. Why isn't the church behind like, supporting people who are in lower income neighborhoods. Like, and why isn't the church, why was the church in favor of slavery? Literally there were people back in the 1600s, 1700s who were religious, who were against slavery. Why is Christ's true church? One of the few churches Mm. that was on the side of the slave owners. That really started to bother me. When I started realizing that I I felt very strongly about it. Like my family's mixed race actually. And um, two of my siblings are adopted from Africa. Mm -hmm. And so, I wanted to learn as much as I could about the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. and racial inequality in the United States. And as I started learning, I started learning a little bit more about the church's history with it. And that was incredibly upsetting. I Mm -hmm. think that was definitely one of my shelf items. It's like, if this is Christ true church, why did we allow people to give slaves as tithing? Mm -hmm. If this is Christ true church, why did we have to wait for the United States government to threaten to take away their tax exemption before mm-hmm. they would allow blacks to hold the priesthood. Mm-hmm. If this is Christ through church, this and this and this and this and this, why are we behind so many other organizations? If we're truly Christ through church, you shall know them by their fruits. Mm-hmm. If the church's fruits are this, I don't think it's truly from God. And that's when things just started to go even further. Mm-hmm. I found the CES letter a couple months after that, after I was like, I think I'm just going to be less active. Mm-hmm. I'll be like a Mormon who doesn't go to church, but still believes in the book of Mormon. Cause I had gained a lot of comfort from the book of Mormon over the years. And then I was, um, I think I was on like social media and I came across a link to the CES letter and I started reading. I was like, I really want to know if the Book of Mormon was true. I was like, if the Book of Mormon is true, then I need to just figure out a way to live my life and hold myself to a higher standard than the church does. Uh Um, And all through this, I was also upset about temple worthiness standards. How come someone could be absolutely racist and beating their wife, but because they don't drink coffee and alcohol, they're worthy to go to the temple. Uh I was like, are you serious? Those are the standards that God has put in place. Those are extremely quantifiable and superficial. I don't Mm -hmm. care if someone drinks coffee. I care about if they're a racist asshole. Mm -hmm. That's what I care about. If they think that someone who looks differently and comes from a different country is not worthy of basic human rights, I think that should make someone unworthy to go to the temple. Mm -hmm. And that's not a political stance. That's just like, if you think that someone doesn't deserve food and housing, maybe you shouldn't be saying that you're a member of Christ's true religion. Mm -hmm. It's not a very Christly thing to feel. Mm -hmm. So all through this, then I I came across the CES letter and that was kind of just like, all right, it's not true. Uh And then I had like two months, two weeks of like a mental breakdown. And then I pulled myself back up and I was like, all right, start from scratch. Is God real? I don't know. But you know what I do know? I know that I am strong. I know that people are resilient. I can have faith in people's ability to be resourceful and resilient and kind, no matter what energy or power is out there. And that's what I believe in right now. Mm-hmm. I believe in, I, I don't know if that's humanism. I still have some research yeah. to do, but yeah, it's, that's where I'm at personally right now. Yeah, that's very well said. Um, you know, especially in regards to like the race issue, because I find that to be yeah. very low on the totem pole 
as far as reasons why people transition out. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very huge issue, like what you're saying. You know? It is. Especially, I went to a country that was like an entire minority. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there and they're like, well, it seems like a very American religion. Now I'm like, yeah, because it's white supremacists, y'all. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Yeah. Just do a little research and you're going to find out that they were saying that, like, black and white people's blood should be separated so that people, so that white Mormons don't get black people's blood or that black people were on the wrong side of the war in heaven. And so they're now black when they come to earth as a sign of their sin in the previous life. Like it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. I could go on for a while about that, but it just makes my blood boil. So I'm just like, that's not Christ like at all. Mm -hmm. Christ was a black man or a middle Eastern man. He wasn't white. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that really shocked me when I learned that Utah was a slave state, like officially, if I'm not mistaken, you know. Um, Brigham Young was very adamant about establishing slavery. Yeah. That was one of his tenets of creating, of establishing a community and a mm -hmm. successful economy there. Yeah, you know, and like as a little a, problematic. Yeah, you know, as like a, as a black guy, you know, in the church, you know, before I left, like you would have people kind of play these like mental games with you i guess you could say sometimes mm -hmm. as far as like the mission is concerned it's yeah like, well, what if you go out and you you know you are teaching a racist he hates black people are you just not going to teach that guy and it's like i wouldn't feel comfortable doing it i wouldn't you know it's not yeah. something i would want to do and then oh well you're the bad guy for feeling that way like that, uh, that racist is a child of god yeah, he needs he needs the gospel that's gaslighting that's yeah i'm exactly. really sorry people start to you that way that's not okay because mm -hmm. if they're racist they're probably not set up to accept the true like principles behind christ-like doctrine or whatever christ's mm -hmm. doctrine that he that you can pull out of the bible yeah and so. see and that's you know a good reason why you should familiar familiarize yourself with the vocabulary because like mm -hmm. until now I wouldn't have considered that gaslighting or abusive in that way. And, yeah. and now oh, that's very obvious. You know what I mean? Those kind of tactics. But that was a big issue for uh, my mom because, you know, I'm biracial. Um, you said you can come from a, a mixed family and yeah. when the church finally released those little the essays that they hid on the website like you didn't you couldn't really find yeah. them but they were available they're like but we made them public, but we made them public. Yeah. there's a difference yeah she came across that and was like whoa like you're you're saying like my husband is less than my my son is less than just because of yeah of this mixing uh yeah it's very bad messaging very bad optics um yeah it's like continuing the one drop rule into the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Like the one drop of black blood makes you a black person. It's like continuing it in a religious context. Like this is the 21st century. Like this, mm -hmm. I, yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't want to be part of a religion that has that kind of doctrine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't reconcile that. Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned the tax thing already, but you know, it's all money centric. Um, oh, yeah. When it's like, oh, the church is getting really big in Brazil and we can't tell who's black or not, who has the one drop or not. Let's, mm -hmm. let's, we, let, we just got to open it to everybody. If we want the sweet, mm -hmm. sweet tithing money and to make these temples and get this land and do all this shady yep. stuff. Um, it's a very, like, I want to say that it is the church with the best PR team that yeah. I have ever seen in the entire world. Mm. They have a PR team that should win awards because the way that the church is conveyed in the media 
they're doing a really good yeah. job. Mm-hmm. You really got to do your homework if you're going to find the underbelly. Mm-hmm. If you're going to find out what's actually happening and how things have actually gone down in the past, you got to do your homework. Yeah, you really do. So, uh-huh. yeah, so I'm glad uh, you brought that up because we I hadn't really touched on that with anybody yet. Um, mm-hmm. The church as a whole, I mean, it is very important and more, more people do need to um, know that. Um, but it's kind of moving forward a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned kind of where you're at as far as like humanism and where your, you know, yeah. your belief systems lie. Um, mm-hmm. Just overall, how has life been for you since you left the church? Um, it's like, it's kind of um, really great and really hard at the same time. Because one, it's really great because I'm sitting here like, I can decide what is right and wrong now. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm obviously not going to go out and murder someone and be like, I formed my own moral system, but I am going to say like, I think that I can drink coffee and still be a good person Mm -hmm. in the eyes of whatever energy or moral compass exists in the universe. Like, I think that the most important thing that I should be focusing on is how I treat other people, how I make them feel and how I help them progress. And also how I do those same things for myself. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's incredibly difficult because of the way the church stigmatizes people who leave. Mm. And I have a very large, strong pioneer history family who I have not told yet mm. that I am no, I no longer consider myself a member of the church. My name's still on the records. Um, I still have a temple recommend. Mm. <laughs> it does, I have don't need to get it renewed uh, for a bit. So I'm Okay. <laughs> We're not going to touch anymore on yeah. that subject because I feel like I'm getting into legal territory yeah. at this point. It's like uh, my membership card is still valid, <laughs> but um, to enter the fancy country club, I need to stop now with that. Mm. But um, <laughs> but it's hard because my family doesn't know, and yeah. I am very much living a double life where I go home um once a month, once every two three months, and I have to pretend to be a different person. Mm-hmm. I can't talk the way I want to. I can't dress the way I want to. I need to wear longer shorts. I need to make sure I'm wearing sleeved shirts. I have to make it look like my clothes are covering my garments. I have to, if I, I had to go to my sister's wedding recently, I had to sneak out of the house to go get a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Or um, I I have to be very careful saying that if I'm going to buy something on Sunday, it's, it's really hard because I grew up in a military family, so I was moving all the time. The only grounding element of my childhood was my family. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I'm being incredibly dishonest with them. And it's a point of self-preservation, but also I know that they're going to feel an incredible amount of pain when they know that I leave because they do believe that we're going to be together as a family forever as long as we all keep our covenants. And they're going to see me as breaking my covenants. Yeah, And I don't – and I – I recognize that they're going to feel that pain and that pain is going to be very real, whether or not I believe in the religion that's behind that pain, Mm -hmm. the pain will be real and I don't want to hurt them. But I'm also at a point where I'm kind of like, I need to tell them soon Mm -hmm. because I can't live with myself like this for much longer. Living a double life is not fun. (laughs) No, 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 no. No. Um, Yeah. I remember I was so scared to call my mom and tell her. Yeah. How did that go? Like, how did the conversation go? I'm like trying to get tips yeah. now for how to tell my family you, you won't get and much, not get murdered. You won't get much <laughs> tips from me because it was so easy, you yeah. know. Like I, I said, you know, like and I'm about to call. Like I want to cry. Like I'm just so scared of like how this is gonna go. 
and I just told her like how I felt and she was like you know what like I get that you know I have some questions sometimes you know really he's got to do what's going to make you happy um, yeah. and that's what we hope you know as you know, your parents would be understanding like that but that's where that yeah that culty kind of brainwashing comes in where yeah I start to put these you know in internalized values and stuff I start to hold those above that of like the love for my own children um, yes so I hope that when not, you, yeah that's the greatest fear yeah. of anyone coming to their parents about this yeah and so you know I know that's not much help for you that's fine. It's good to know someone didn't like end yeah. up dead at the end yeah. of that conversation. But, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> some other people that I've talked to in my life, like, have had kind of similar um, outcomes. So, I think mm -hmm. with more and more people openly leaving the church and people becoming more aware that this is yeah. happening and it's happening for valid reasons, not, you know, some I want to sin or do whatever. Yeah, no. Um, I, I wanted to follow Christ. Yeah, yeah. I wanted, and I started realizing that I felt it was more important to do these things to follow Christ than to agree with a bunch of people who are telling me what to believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if anything, I hope like when you do reach that place and you'll know when you need to finally do it, you can't take that yeah. living a lie anymore because that's a huge stress. You know, I've been there. But, yeah. Um, you know, the only, I, my hope is that it, it goes better than you think it will go. Um, just because of, you know, people are more aware that people are leaving for valid reasons mm -hmm. and it's not, uh, it's not a betrayal. To get lit it's, and yeah, to get laid. Yeah, it's not for that. <laughs> it's not a betrayal. It's not a rebellion. You're not trying to hurt them in any way. Yeah. Um, and if you can make them understand that, you know, that's not, it's not coming from a place that I want to hurt you and it's coming from a place where I don't want to be hurt by you by coming to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. like if you can reach that kind of understanding, I think uh, not that it will be, it'll be tense, you know, probably, but, you know, I do think when it's the right time, it'll probably go better than you think. Um, and if nothing else, you can karate kick them or something like that. And, <laughs> you know, like you're going to accept this uh, or you're going to get beat up, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. But we'll see. That is very tough though. And that's. You know, like we always say, like, that's why it's so important to, like, share these stories. Um, because yeah. if you can't share it with, you know, your immediate family or anything, mm -hmm. you do need a, a surrogate community. I think there's, I think that's absolutely one of the reasons that the ex-Mormon online community is so big. Mm -hmm. It's because you lose a lot of those really close people you that do. you trust. You really do. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, do you have a timeline? Do you think like, you know, probably a year from now I'm going to have to do this or it's still very up in the it's air? It's going to be sooner than that, I think, because um, I'm a really bad liar <laughs> and it's yeah. going to slip out sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I got to do it soon. Just got to work up my, my courage yeah. and um, figure out some type of strategy. Yeah. But um if anyone else is going through this, I wish you luck and um, just, I hope they know they're not alone. It's very much a very alone feeling mm -hmm. when you're in this situation, but. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, and anyone listening, if you have some tips or something, or you want to reach out and kind of share your story with Sarah, um, you can message me. I can relay that to her because we do want to keep some anonymity here because of the situation but i'm sure she would love to hear that kind of stuff and yeah you know yeah. and once i tell my family i'm happy to share my instagram handle and my contact information but till then i'm just gonna 
I appreciate everyone's support and letting me let my family know on my own terms. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, I think we're reaching an hour, maybe a little bit over an hour. I don't want to hold you up too much. Um, We've talked about a lot. We've covered a lot. Um, Is there anything we haven't mentioned that you really want to discuss? Um, I think my only thing I would say is just just because you find out that the church isn't true or that you decide the church isn't true, don't lose your faith in humanity. Because like all the goodness that's in the world, it came from somewhere and it came from people. And I think that as much as we put a lot of hope and faith in God, as people who are living the church and living the religion, like the Mormon religion or whatever, it doesn't mean the goodness is gone. It just means that you have to find out where it came from and it came from where you didn't think it was. And just have, just keep your, don't lose your faith in humanity just because you lose your faith in the LDS Church. Well said. Very well said, Sarah. Um, well, again, thank you so much for reaching out to me and, you know, being so willing to get vulnerable and share your story. I'm going to hope this was beneficial for you. For sure. you take something away. I know I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. And don't be a stranger moving forward. You know, <laughs> I'll reach out. I'll check in on you. You know, feel free to do the same. But, you know, I hope uh, you have a great rest of your day. And thank you. You it too. And as well for you, you know, coming out of that closet for the first yep. time. Yep. <laughs> yes. I Thank you. I need all the, the good luck and best wishes I can get. So thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Sounds good. You too. Right. Bye. Bye. Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.